right, good morning. Wow, that was a really tepid response. I know it's cold outside. <laughs> um, it's good to be up here, even with all the feedback. Um, my name is Glenn, and if you don't know, I've been on staff uh, full-time at Redeemer for five years this weekend, actually. So I uh, made it five years. Yeah. I know. It's, uh, if you knew me, you'd be like, wow, he hasn't done anything for five years, so this is pretty amazing. Um, we've laughed together, cried, partied. Did I mention cried together in the last five years? But um, all I have to say is I am really glad to be here. This campus is actually like really nice compared to the other campus. Like you guys are sweet. Uh, some people would call it filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, <laughs> but I love to be up here. And um, the reason I am up here is because last week Donovan was supposed to preach in Cedar Rapids as normal, but he was in Indiana on the way back from his father's funeral and got caught there because of the weather. So we didn't have uh, our meeting last week, and then that brings me up here. So I'm kind of balancing out the system, so to speak, uh, bringing a balance to the force, I guess, is the way that I would put it. So um, today, I'm going to preach against my own idols. Um, verse 2, loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Um, when you read that, that was just amazing to me because that's, that's what I want to see happen today. Um, I'll get very specific about my own sin and my own idols here in just a minute. Um, hopefully you guys will be able to understand and uh, uh, maybe see yourself in that. And if not, um, I'll just confess my sins to you guys and we'll go from there. Um, let me pray, ask for God's hand on this, and then we'll get moving into the text. Father, I do thank you for your love for Jerusalem, for the nation of Israel that we can see, that you want her to be loosed, you want her to be free, not captive. And Lord, you're, you're letting us watch you taking her out of captivity. And I pray, Lord, that we would not just see this as some distant uh, story from thousands of years ago that doesn't have anything to do with us. But Lord, I pray that we would see ourselves in this story, that you are loosening the bonds that are on us, that you are bringing about change, that you are loving us. I pray, Lord, that you would just move here this morning. Send your spirit. Do your thing. God, give us the, the courage to respond. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, I'm not going to be going through verse by verse in this. There's just a few kind of main themes that I would like to capture. Um, but if you look at this verse and kind of zoom, or this passage and kind of zoom out, verses 3, 7, 8, 9, and 10, that's God's work. He's saving the nation of Israel. He's bringing them out of bondage, right? And then our response, verses 1, 2, 8, 9, and 11, to stand, to awake to loose the bonds from your neck, uh, put on beautiful garments, purify yourse <clears throat> yourselves. And so what God is doing is he's showing the gospel to us and then giving us the ability to see how he wants us to respond. So um, the gospel is simply God's work toward us. And I say that because in admitting that, in confessing that, the, that God's salvation is his work, there's so much that goes with that. There's so much. 
here at Redeemer, we really do value um, the sovereignty of God and His work being outside of us and not connected to us in the sense of His plan happened in the Godhead. It didn't happen because of our response, right? That there is, um, the psalmist, he puts it this way, he's like, save me, Lord, according to your salvation, right? So it has nothing, very little to do with our response. And, um, and I bring this full around, um, I don't even know when it was, we went down to Oklahoma City, and we were there at this conference, and I was praying, I was just like asking God to do a work in my heart, and this lady and her husband, who I had never met before, um, they came up to me and they, they prophesied uh, over me after they had watched me worship, which is a really vulnerable thing. Like, you know, clearly, God was showing them something in the way that I was worshiping, like my posture and all of that. And here's what they had to say. They said, we see this red dot on the back of your neck, and what we think that that means is that there is something that with, within your thought process that is wrong, that needs to be changed, right? And it's something that's very basic, and it's something that affects like every other part of your life. And God showed it. He literally highlighted it with a red dot on my neck to them, like a, like a, a sight on a rifle, which is scary, because that's how I see God sometimes. And the, the, the main thing of it is, and I don't know if you guys will um, jive with this or, or not, but as I've gotten away from that, the main thing that I really struggle with is I think, and my belief system is that God's love is contingent upon my works and on my response to him, right? Um, like, yes, do I believe that salvation is from God alone? Yes, I believe that. I believe it, but then in my day-to-day -day life, I'm not living that out. It's like there's something in my life that is contingent upon God's loving me. Like, if I do things a certain way, or if I don't do things, then God will love me more. 1 John 4.10 starts to bang away at this lie that I've been believing. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So uh, another thing that's kind of been becoming very real to me in the last year is just how I think through this. And I think part of being in Western culture is I think, okay, A plus B equals C. Like this is how it works, like laws of physics and, and all of that. But the problem is, is I carry that over into my relationship with God. So if I pray a lot, then he will love me. Then he'll talk to me. Then he'll move and, and make me feel loved, right? Or um, if I fast, then he'll do this. Or if I don't sin, if I stop sinning, then he'll do something, right? And the, the problem is, is I'm thinking and I'm living as if God's love for me is contingent upon these things, right? It's pretty deep. Um, you shall not go out in haste. We just read this. You shall not go out in flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. And he says, uh, Jerusalem, loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. So we don't think um, that our sin is really that bad. I don't think that my sin is that bad. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm doing some good works for God, or I'm uh, not sinning, at least, for God, right? But the thing of it is, is it, it just puts 
all of the weight of my relationship with God onto me. And it puts the weight of his love being on my response. And this is, this is actually a lie. It's a lie that I've believed, and it's a lie that I'm going to confess and kind of work through even here this morning. Um, but the thing that happens, if, if my thinking is actually true, like God's love is contingent upon how I respond, then it opens up my world to a, a bunch of, of fear and frustration, vexing, etc. So, for instance, like um, if God's love is contingent upon my response, what if I don't hear from Him? Right? Then I start to freak out, and I'm like, okay, I need to do extra things, or I need to stop doing things because I'm not hearing from Him, and His love on me is contingent upon that, and it becomes just super frustrating and vexing and all of that. So I'll illustrate it with um, my group. So my group has been um, in this kind of place for two and a half years where I sensed very, very clearly two and a half years ago, God was like, okay, I want you to start thinking and teaching on the, the person of the Holy Spirit in your group. And uh, his person, his works, his character, the things that he does, like how does he integrate into the, to the Godhead, and um, so we did that, and we studied, and we worshiped him, and we put our hope in him. Uh, then it kind of moved into a very particular verse that God brought to my mind, and that's 1 Corinthians 14.1, and it says, Pursue love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And so I'd grown up in churches that just wrote off 1 Corinthians 14.1, so obeying it wasn't even on my radar and then here we are studying the person and the works of the Holy Spirit, so that verse now becomes very applicable and, be, and very important. So like, what does it look like for me to obey this, pursue love, and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts? So that's where we went with our group. Fast forward to the last few months, we've been going to the mall where we're meeting and asking God, okay, so God, highlight people so that we might pray for them and that they would get healed or they would have be freed up from something that they've had their entire life, like a, a, a prophetic thing over them that would free them up. And then we can preach the gospel and, and bring the gospel to them. And so we've been going to the mall and like walking up to strangers and saying, hey, um, seems like God's highlighting you to us. Can we pray for you? Et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we've prayed for, I don't know, half a dozen people or whatever in the last few months. And the thing of it is, is we haven't heard from God yet when it concerns like an actual healing or uh, like a, a prophecy over someone. Like there's been some vague stuff, but we haven't prayed for anybody and they haven't gotten healed. And in my A plus B equals C thinking, like my works are contingent upon this thing happening and God's love is contingent upon my works. Like you can see where I'm leading my poor group. Like, it's just going down this path of like, well, we need to fast, we need to pray, we need to, we need to double down on what we're doing, right? Because we don't have God's attention, we're not hearing from him, and his love for us is contingent on that, right? So, uh, like I said, I'm confessing, I don't even know why I'm on staff at a church, like this is, <laughs> this is horrible. But the thing of it is, is like what we're seeing is that played out, and God's like, no, let's, let's talk about this. My love for you is not contingent on your response. My love for you is not contingent upon uh, 
all of this. You hearing from me is not contingent upon your works and that type of thing. And our biggest fear is that we haven't heard from God. But here's the deal. There are so many places in the Bible that it talks about we are united with Jesus by his death on the cross. Um, Ephesians 1, it just says again and again, in him, in Christ, in him, in Christ, that we are united with Jesus, not because of our works, but because of his death on the cross. Like, read Ephesians 1, it'll blow your mind. We are united with Jesus. So if I'm saying, okay, yeah, 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 that's great, the cross is great, but I need to hear from you right now, what I'm actually confessing is that, yeah, I'm united with Jesus, and I'm not hearing from you, like, all of a sudden, it takes away that. I'm basically saying that Jesus is not hearing from the Father um, because we're united with him. It's, a, it's just a, a vast lie. And the thing of it is, is that when we think about that, like Jesus always did what's good and right and perfect because Jesus is good and right and perfect. He says, I always do what's pleasing to the Father. And then we're united with that. In him. We are in him with him always doing what is good and right and perfect. So when it comes to this uh, understanding of God's love being contingent on anything, it's just not. That's the whole point. There are so many verses where God moves toward us when we are hostile toward him. Romans 4-5 says that God justifies the ungodly. So it's not like I've had to like somehow clean myself up and then God will love me. Now this is ungodly. Like a prerequisite for salvation is that you are ungodly, that you are a sinner. That's a prereq. Jesus said, I didn't come to heal those who are healthy, but those who are sick, right? So in order to understand God's love moving toward us completely outside of our response to him, we have to understand just the basis of salvation, that God in in the Trinity, he, yes, Jesus wanted to bring glory to the Father. He wanted to um, be led by the Holy Spirit. That was his greatest desire. But he also loves us. The, the, the cross is God loving you. There's no thing that you can do that's going to go back 2,000 years and change Jesus' mind about pursuing you. His death is for you. He's moving toward you and toward me. And then what happens then is when we are in Christ, we get all the benefits of being in Christ. So God looks at us as if we're pure. Pure. This is mind-blowing. 1 Corinthians 1.8, God will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That because of Jesus' work, you are guiltless. So, I don't know, you, you guys have probably heard, some of you have probably heard a little bit of my testimony, but in the short version is I was saved out of a life of debauchery. I mean, literally. Uh, one of my friends that I grew up with, he's in federal prison now because of debauchery. And uh, interestingly enough, this week I was researching debauchery laws. I have no idea why. This is how the Holy Spirit works in me. But there's one state in the United States where debauchery is against the law, and it's the state of Illinois. And I grew up in the state of Illinois, breaking that law for years. And that's, it's ironic, but that's where I was saved from. And for God to say that I'm guiltless, 
it's, it's mind-blowing. All the people that I've hurt, all the things that I've done, the things that I've seen, the things that I led my friends in, it's guiltless, it's clean, it's crazy. But this is what it's like to be in Christ. Jesus, who never did anything wrong, always did what's good and right and perfect, always without sin, always pleasing to his Father in heaven, then dies for us. And by faith, we become justified in that. We become in Jesus, in Christ, in him because of that. So then, as a result, we do respond. The thing of it is, is God's love is not contingent upon our response, but God's love came to us through Jesus, so now we do respond, right? And how do we respond? Well, we purify ourselves. That's what it said in, uh, in i to find it. Verse 11, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. So we're not purifying ourselves to make God love us. God's loved us, so now we're purifying ourselves. See, you have been made pure in Jesus. Pure. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's amazing. This is crazy news. So now we go and we purify ourselves. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among, among the Gentiles honorable so that the, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Purify yourselves. So we live out of the reality that Jesus has made us guiltless and then we go and we purify ourselves. Again, conforming to the image of Christ, we're not saved because of our holiness. We're, we, we are saved for our holiness, to go out and to be holy. So believing the first, believing that I am pure and guiltless before the throne of God actually empowers me to then purify myself, right? Um, so when I think of this, the, the other part that in my heart, this is how it, this is how it plays out. Um, so for instance, um, well, I'll just use 1 Corinthians 14.1. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So Jesus has purified me. He's died for me. He has shown his love for me. And then the command is now to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, right? It's a response to Jesus' work on the cross. But I've noticed, and this is in my own heart, but I've also noticed it from other people around Cedar Rapids who might not be as holy and spiritual as you guys, but this is how they think through things. Like, God has not changed my desires, so why would I do that? Right? And I'm like, okay, so let me, let's just back this up. Let's just talk. Revelation is like hearing from God and seeing. Revelation is salvation. So when God says through the Apostle Paul, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, we've heard from God, right? That's not me that's talking. That's literally what God said. Now how we respond comes from this place of either confession and repentance or 
further suppression of the truth, right? I'm not going to do that. I don't feel the desire to do that. But God has saved. When we read the Bible, as we move through it, think of God talking to you and speaking to you directly when you read the Word of God, because that's what's happening, right? And then for us to respond, that's the that's the beauty of it, is that we get this time to be able to respond to him. So yeah, there are works that we can do, again, not to save us, but works that, that happen out of the fact that we are saved. Um, Ephesians 2 says that there are works prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, right? Again, God's love is not, is not constrained by our works or shown by our works, or contingent upon our works, but we do that as a response. Um, thinking through, like, what do our relationships with God look like? Like, what do we think through? How do we maneuver through? And, um, and one of the things that I kind of came up with was, like, I think that my relationship with God has a lot of unrequited love, right? And you guys are like, oh, well, that's pretty arrogant for you to say. And I'm like, no, no, no from his perspective, right? Unrequited love is simply like love, it's a one-way relationship, right? It's a movement toward another person, but they're not responding. There's nothing that's coming back. And I, I do think that like with our theology, sometimes we're like, well, God is moving toward us. There's nothing that we can do to bring glory to him. There's, his love is not contingent upon it. And we kind of just drop the ball. We just stop there. But I'm asking for us to respond. Awake! The way that God's told uh, the nation of Israel. Awake! Stir yourself. Unloose the binds that are around your neck. And the way we do this is to re return, respond to God's love. Now, I looked up on the internet, so it must be wise, 16 signs of unrequited love. And... Um, I'm not going to go through all 16, but think about this from God's perspective. Is God performing grand gestures for you only to get nothing but a, a thanks in return, right? Is his love for you unrequited? This I thought was kind of funny. Is there a picture of you on God's iPhone that he just keeps looking at it and looking at it? There's no way he's going to delete it, right? Um, or not. How jealous does God get when you grind his soul by telling him about the great time that you had with someone else besides him, right? Uh, the Old Testament tells us that God's name is jealous. Um, does God feel used? Does he feel unappreciated? Does he wish that your eyes would open to what is wonderfully intertwined life path that's so clearly laid out before you, right? Is he constantly initiating contact with you, but you're not responding? Does he have conversations in his head with you that never actually happen out loud in prayer, right? In his Godhead. And when I think through, again, his love for you is not contingent upon your response 
But this is a relationship, and if we're going to walk vibrantly with him, there needs to be a relationship. There needs to be a response to his love. And the, the beauty of it is, is that, yeah, his death for you happened before you ever responded. His movement toward you happened when you were hostile toward him. But what does it look like for us to respond to him? I'm going to read these verses from Ephesians over you. I mean, I'm just not making this stuff up. It's just in there, in Christ, in him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, in him. Verse 13, in him. It just keeps going on again and again that we are united with him because of his work on us. So let's spend some time responding I'm going to have our worship band come back up and my prayer is that they would lead us and bring us to this place where we can respond uh, to him through, through that power of the Holy Spirit. But as we're here, um, Terry had talked about communion. We're going to take communion together. And what is communion? It's just simply a, another remembrance. It's a celebration that we are in him. That he came to us completely apart from our works, completely apart from our response, and in love showed us and died for us. So it became sin for us. So when you take the, the bread and the cup, you are celebrating that, that you are in Christ, in Him. So we're going to do that together. We're going to sing together, cry out with one voice that Jesus is awesome, that He is worthy of our praise. Um, but I would also ask that we would individually move toward Jesus in this moment. So how is his relationship with you, his love for you, unrequited? How is it? Right? And what is the conversation that, would, that he wants to have with you? See, we keep in step with the Holy Spirit. We move and walk. Jesus says, follow me. What does it look like for you to follow him? What's the conversation that he wants to have with you right now? to move forward in your relationship with him, to respond to that love that he has given to you. Um, if you feel particularly like um, you can relate with me concerning like your works, where do they line up with his love for you, I would love to pray with you uh, after with the prayer team and just spend some time talking through it and praying and asking God to bring revelation to you. I would love to do that with you personally. But I'm going to pray and get out of the way and let Dirk lead us out.
Father, thank you for the truth. Thank you for your love, which stands outside of our response. And Lord, I do ask that this morning that you would move on us in such a way that we would celebrate your love for us, celebrate the love that you have that stands outside of our response. It's your salvation. It's your plan. It's your movement. It's your power. And so I ask God that you would help us to see that, but I also ask God that you would help us to see what it looks like to keep in step with you within that plan. What do we need to talk about? What do we need to confess? Where do we need to repent? How is it that we have offended you and not kept in uh, step with you? So I pray, Lord, that you would move, help us, send your spirit to give us and cause us to have the conversation that we need to have with you. In the name of Jesus, I pray through the Spirit. Amen.